You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning. How are we? Good, great, thumbs up. I love it. Welcome everyone to South Bay Church. So glad that you are here just to fill you in in case you haven't been here. We've been embarking on an adventure and an adventure to learn about the spirit, the third person in the triune Jesus or triune God kind of going crazy. But it's all about God. It's all about him. So we've been having different people talk about the spirit in different places throughout the Bible. Today is kind of exciting, at least for me, though, because of our title. And it's the spirit without limit. But specifically, we will be looking at the spirit in the Gospels. This is exciting for me because, honestly, I've never heard anyone talk about this. I usually hear people talk about the Spirit, again, throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, or the Acts. They call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but never the Gospels. But I do think, and I do know, that the Spirit is in the Gospels. We will look at that, and specifically, we will be seeing how the Spirit is without limit and looking at what the Gospels say, where the Spirit shows up, and what does that mean for us today. But before we get started, it makes sense that we need to pray to the one that we're talking about. So let's bow our heads, get started. Father, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit. Because it's some it's he is someone that guides us and he really leads us. And he is such a leader, at least in my life. And I pray that I can speak about him as he actually is. And that we talk about him and we learn about him and we learn as much about him as you would want us to, Father. Please push me out the way and I pray that that you can be present as I know you are. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. So the gospel says so much. I can't get into all of it, but I tried. Tried to get a representative sample in scripture. So what did the gospel say about the spirit? One, Matthew 1, 18 to 19. The Gospel of Matthew. It says here, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So what is something that we see? The Holy Spirit empowers Mary to be able to give birth. It's not here, but something very similar happened with Mary's relative, Elizabeth, where she gave birth to John the Baptist. So this is something that we're seeing. The Holy Spirit empowers people. Luke 4, 1 to 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. These two scriptures are ideas that we will be coming back to, but I really love that word full because in the NKJV, the New King James Version, it says filled. It's so interesting to me, filled and full, because they almost describe quantities. That's how we use those words. In John 3, 6 to 8, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, kind of in the dark, by himself. They're having a discussion where Jesus is introducing him about the fundamentals of the kingdom. And he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit 
gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. This was another place where I noticed something. Um, And it's not here, but later in the scripture, Jesus talks about how people enter into the kingdom with the spirit and water, water being a fluid. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus is just about to start his ministry, and he's starting it. He comes out from the wilderness with the Holy Spirit. He unrolls the Isaiah scroll in the synagogue, and he starts talking about it. He says, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So I want you to pay attention to that word anointing. We've been, a lot of us uh, on staff, we've been looking at the Bible Project, talking about the Holy Spirit. And one thing that the, the authors and the people behind the Bible Project is they introduced this idea in the Old Testament where kings would be anointed to be a king. They were legitimized by being anointed with oil, and oil is a fluid. And so I I noticed this theme throughout these scriptures where the Spirit kept being associated with fluid, being filled, Jesus being anointed, then the Spirit being there, Jesus being baptized, and the Spirit descending on him. What do we get baptized in? In water. So this was a theme that was very interesting to me. And once again, we're seeing that the Spirit is on Jesus. John 3.34, kind of inspiring the title of our lesson today, it says here, For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. So what we see here is that God gives the Spirit, and specifically, he gives the Spirit through Jesus. John 14.16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So the Spirit is described as an advocate. But this was interesting, too, because Francis Chan, a pastor of Cornerstone Church and author of a book called The Forgotten God, telling you the title so you can check it out because it's a great book. But he talks about this scripture, and he says, for John 14, 16, he says, in this case, with the word another, the Greek word for another means another that is just like, as opposed to, to something that is of another kind of different sort. So Jesus is saying that the one who would come would be just like him. So what do we see from the scripture? That the advocate, the Holy Spirit, is just like the one who is sending him, Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is Jesus, and Jesus is God. They are all one. And lastly, for this section on what? We have John 16, 13. The scripture is fascinating to me. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Here I saw passive and active qualities, but then it said he. That really just popped out to me. I was like, wow, the spirit is a he. But to really flesh out these passive and active qualities, I needed some help. So before we go forward, I needed Cece to come on stage, help us out. Thanks so much. So, Cece, 
but you have so much power. Cece, I was wondering if you could tell the audience that Jesus is Lord in another language. Yeah, I can speak oh, both Korean and English, so I'll say it in Korean. Okay. Um, Let's go. Thank you so much. She did great. And, she, and I, I really needed her help because she captures something about this scripture. When I was reading this, it almost reminded me of a translator or maybe even a loud mic because it says, the spirit will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. Cece didn't just speak whatever she wanted. She spoke what she heard to the audience she was assigned to. And in the same way, the spirit is given to people who want to be in a relationship with God and he doesn't just speak on his own, he speaks what he's hearing. He's speaking from, from God, what he's hearing from God. And so in a way, it's almost kind of passive because he's speaking what he hears, but then there's something active and it says, and he will tell you what is to come. And he's talking about the future. So in this section, we looked at what? What do the gospels say? Knowing what the gospels say will inform us where the Spirit is in the Gospels. So we're going to check that out right now. Where is the Spirit? So one short answer for this is Luke 4.18, which we saw where Jesus unrolled the Isaiah scroll, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. So the Holy Spirit was with Jesus. Like that, I mean, that's really it. That's the answer. I think that we can do better than that. And there's other places, and there's even more specific, continuous places that we see the Spirit. Like appearing in beginnings. So, let's look at Matthew 1, 18 to 19 again. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so the Holy Spirit is at the beginning because he helps Mary give birth to Jesus, and this will eventually start Jesus's ministry on earth. So quite obviously, we see the very beginning of Jesus on earth, and it's with the Spirit. In Luke 4, 12, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I highlighted left the Jordan because earlier in Luke what we see is that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, and then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and this is where his ministry starts. So again, we're seeing this, this idea and this theme, this pattern, where the Spirit keeps being at the beginning of something. And now, Mark 13, 9 through 11. This is Jesus talking to the apostles, the disciples, about the future. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. I highlighted here, and the gospel must be preached to all nations. 
So the disciples, eventually, after Jesus dies, they get arrested. They get flogged. But what comes out of it? The gospel is preached to all nations. And how does that happen? The Holy Spirit in them is preaching it and helping them teach it to other people. And when you look around at our audience right now, right here, right now, look around. Take a look. There's a lot of us from a lot of different places. And we're reaping the fruit of what they did way back when because this was how the gospel was preached. This is where it began. This is how it started. And once again, we see the Spirit's watermark. We see his thumbprint. He's there at the beginning. There's another place that we see the Spirit. It's a little uncomfortable for me, but it's still worth getting into. Appears in distress and suffering. So before we get into that, I want you to talk preferably in groups of two, maybe three, but take two minutes to describe a time with those around you when suffering and distress were accompanied by birth and a beginning. So two minutes will start now. All right, everybody, my timer has gone off. We have food trucks outside. We won't be sharing today for the essence of time, but we'll be coming right back. Thank you so much, really appreciate it. So why would I do this? Why would I have you all share about suffering distress being accompanied by birth in a, in a beginning? The answer is kind of in the question. It's because of where we find the spirit. We find the spirit near suffering and distress but birth flows from it. And how does that happen? 
it happens through some of the things that we've already seen and we've already looked at. So let's look at it again. Distress, suffering, and birth. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to what? Public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So we already know that how does Jesus come about? Through the Holy Spirit, empowering Mary. But then there's public disgrace. This was wild to me because, see, the people at this time in in late antiquity, in the first century, these Jews, they knew that that Mary was not yet married to Joseph, and yet she's pregnant. And so Joseph has a solution because of his fidelity to the law, and he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. And this shocked me because I realized something. By the Spirit doing this, (laughs) the Spirit did something that was culturally inappropriate, This was disgraceful. This was distressing. I could only imagine her social suffering that Mary could have faced if if this would have been more exposed. And Joseph already had an idea of this. It didn't even happen yet. But he's so distressed that he already has a plan to just leave her because of what could come. And this was the spirit, which is what shocked me. I never would have thought of the spirit doing something like this. But again, the Lord is not bound by culture. He's not. But we do see distress and suffering and birth closely intertwined here. So let's look at another example. Luke 4, 1-2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. So right before this, Jesus was baptized in front of a bunch of people. He was around people and now he's led into the wilderness for 40 days, and he's tempted by the devil. This was interesting to me because we look at who Jesus is. Jesus is God. And in John 8, Jesus says, I am. This is how he he describes himself. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And something that we see throughout the Bible is that God is self-existent. He is He doesn't need anyone to do anything for him. He doesn't depend. His existence does not depend on anything. But see, Jesus took a form as a human that allowed him to be in need. Because what we see right here is that he was hungry. I can only imagine what this was like for Jesus. Because yes, he was an adult by this point. But I don't know if he had ever fasted for 40 days before this point. He may have. But we see that he's hungry. And we see that he's tempted by the devil. And this is right before he starts a ministry that was going to end up in him being humiliated and killed. This was just the beginning. And I, I, I just don't know. I don't know what that was like for him. Because this is a being who did not need food. That's not his nature. And now he's feeling that. I can only imagine his distress. But we're not done. In Mark 13... 9 through 11, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say, just whatever is given, uh, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So we already talked about this scripture. We've already talked about several of them. I was trying to use a frame that moves us through this where we can see the same thing 
but see different things in the same scripture. We've already seen birth in this scripture, the birth of the gospel spreading. We've already seen that this happened through the Holy Spirit. But look at this. They were flogged in the synagogues. That's what happened to Jesus. And that's what this birth comes through. It comes through suffering. So what does this mean for us? It means another question. You don't have to answer it right now. But it's to ask ourselves, is this acceptable to us? We've looked at what the gospels say, where the spirit is, but is that acceptable? Why? Because the spirit does not change. He is unchanging. You look at 1 Samuel 15, 29, Numbers 23, 19. There's different scriptures throughout the Old Testament that all say the same thing, that God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. If the spirit is here and we see him here in the gospels and he's with us, He's not changing. This is how he works. This is what he does. Which is why I'm wondering, is that acceptable? In John 3, it talks about how a person with the Spirit is like the wind, and they go with the Spirit. So what I'm wondering is, is it acceptable that perhaps we too would go through suffering and distress and that it would lead to some kind of birth? It's really something to consider and I say that because I did not consider that. About three years ago, I was working for um, a city, city a little far from here, Cerritos, and I was doing recreation. There were so many different things to do, processing insurance requests, cleaning facilities, and it was great. But one of the biggest things that we did was we had to enforce city policy. And enforcing policy means that you have to tell people no. And that was one of the most consistent things that I did. And I had great relationships, but I also had a lot of no's to tell people. And what did this mean? This meant that I was cussed out. This meant that I had water balloons thrown at me. This meant that I was videotaped saying no to people. This also meant that one time um, I, I, there was a volleyball team, and there were two teams, and they were playing. And they couldn't, they couldn't be on the park playing because they... It, it was a liability for that specific, specific team. So I went there and I told them, they're yelling at me, it's just me. But then other people see it on the walkway, kind of like a walkway like out there. So they're walking by and they're seeing it. And what do they do? They join them. And so they're all, they're all coming in and they're all yelling at me. And then one time, the police actually had to actually come on to the park um, due to staff calling them. But then they end up coming into the office looking for me because of something that I said to them, to the, the people, um, the patrons in the park. So the police came in looking for me. And it was at that point that I just realized I'm getting a little too much exposure. This is a little too much. Like, I, 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 I don't know about this. I, it, I, I'm a little done. And I was looking around. I was looking around at um, different jobs. And I noticed that there were higher paying jobs in, in other facilities. And so I looked at this and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. In other departments, specifically one where I would be doing maintenance, I'd just be with nature, I'd just be fixing things. It'd be great. And I would get more money, you know, and I, I wanted to move out. And so I, I figured it out. I got the interview. I got the job. Despite someone not wanting me to go, I, you know, I got it. And it was wonderful. Yeah, the, the key word was, so... Eventually, what I didn't realize is that there is a reputation um, that was forming and that was spread about me 
And eventually, I didn't even find out about this until I had almost lost the job because I was set down by the department heads telling me about this reputation and about my work ethic that I had no idea about. And so what I was running from, I got the most of because it turned out I was getting exposed in front of the whole department and I had no clue about it. So it, I have these fantasies about, hey, I'm running away and like there will be nothing there, but it, it just didn't work out. And to be honest with you, it, it even comes here today, at least for me. And so this lesson isn't just for you, it's something that I'm working through. And I honestly had a hard time with this lesson because I'm realizing where the spirit leads. For me, I don't like to be exposed, but you see me right here in front of all of you people and I'm exposed. And, and personally, I don't like this. I wrestle with it. And, and it's something that, that God has used and he's given me opportunities to get better at speaking, but I just don't, it just doesn't feel right to me. It just, it doesn't feel comfortable. And I've run from this repeatedly. Even in school, I spent four years. Someone had told me my first year in college, you know, I should do something related to speaking. And I just said no. And I just went on going. But eventually, um, for me to end up leaving the college that I was at, the community college to transfer, I had to take communications. And I tried to avoid it because four years ago, someone told, I knew about the major, but I just didn't want to do it. You know, even in high school, I was doing something called Model United Nations, where if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like practice United Nations, where you're in front of people speaking about national policy. And then there were two and a half years that I was in drama. And I, again, the, I keep trying to move away. Even, even before that, I was in Boy Scouts. And what happened in Boy Scouts? I was speaking to people. I was speaking to people in front of Home Depots and Lowe's, trying to gain funds for our things. And so. As much as I try to run, I keep moving back to this. It just keeps happening. And for me, this is something that I do wrestle with. Two days ago before this, I, I was just having dreams about being up here and not being prepared enough. I, I, it just kept happening. And I even look at this, um, at this internship because about, I'd say a week ago, it marked a year that I've been here in South Bay. And I really appreciate that. And I've learned so much here, and it's been so character building. But I realized something as well. I've been more exposed than ever. <laughs> and this, and thank you. And this is exactly what I was moving from in 2020. And I can only imagine if the 2020 me would have seen where I am now. But for me, doing this was almost kind of a surrender. Because as, as much as I try to run, and I'm really good at running, the problem is, is that God is the finish line, and, I just, and he's willing to walk with us, but I'd rather be Jonah and move away because of how it makes me feel. And I just didn't want to be exposed, but it just kept happening. It's happened throughout the tapestry of my life where he keeps leading me to this, but something happens beyond my feelings when I do this. And I don't know what the net result is, but it brings glory to God. And so it's worth it, even when it doesn't feel right to me. Even this morning, I was wrestling with this. And this was just something that came up, and he was like, Spencer, you know, your feelings aren't an accurate representation of reality. Like, I don't feel right all the time. I don't feel right doing this. But there's something that comes from it, and this is where he leads me. And so this is just something where I've grown to surrender. And that's what I'm wondering for us. Are we okay with this? Because this is South Bay Church. 
So we're gathering here to learn more about Jesus. We're gathering here as Christians, and Christians are ones that walk with the Holy Spirit. And this is where we see the Holy Spirit walk. He walks and he leads people through suffering. And the suffering gives birth to something. It glorifies him. But we also look at John 3 where spirit gives birth to spirit. And walking with the spirit makes you more like the spirit. And so I I just wonder, are we okay with this? Is this acceptable? What we've learned, what we've seen about where the spirit takes us. Kind of closing out. In John 3.34, again, one of the themes for this title, it says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. And so, if God gives the Spirit without limit, let's not limit it. See, we can limit it in our, in our lives by being just like me. By trying to like kind of plant our, our hooves in the ground and not moving. God has told me so many times to move different places, and I just didn't want to go. Another example is is on campus, because I go to El Camino and Harbor, and sometimes God does this thing where, where he leads me to want to talk to women on campus about him. And that's the last thing that I want to do, because I think about what they could think, and they just see me, a single guy, and what are they going to think? They're going to think that I'm flirting with them or I'm harassing them or I'm doing something because when I was in school, I get all these notifications on my phone about that very thing. People looking like me doing that kind of thing. And I've I've seen it. So I've seen it. So I wrestle with God about this. I'm like, you can get someone else, but not me because it's not going to look good. It just won't. It really won't. I've, I, and I've even seen, there's been a few times where women are like, hey, like, you know, they think that I'm, I'm doing something else other than what I'm trying to do to build family, to build community, and just to try to serve. But he leads me there. And in particular, last semester, it happened at El Camino. You know, I'm walking. There's this, this woman. She's in a, a black sweatshirt, and she's sitting down. I'm like, this is even worse. Like, She's sitting down, and then I'm going to walk up and come up to her like she was on her phone doing work, like she has something to do. But, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I, I surrender. I sit down. I look at her sweatshirt. It says Yahweh. It turns out she is a Christian. She's a, a Coptic Christian, um, which typically refers to people who uh, are of the Egyptian ethnicity, who also have their own. It, it's a particular denomination Christianity that branches from Egypt. But we were talking about God, and I asked her, like, why? You know, why do you do this? Like, why do you go to church? And she said, and her name is Sarah, she said, it helps me stay in God's love. And then I asked her, like, well, like, what is it like for, you know, the people in your community? What do they do? And she's like, we help each other stay in God's love. And this was so mind-blowing to me because I've never heard someone, like, distill, like, complex concepts into two sentences. She summed up all of Christianity into two sentences, and the sentences were fairly similar. So maybe it was, like, one and a half. It was incredible (laughs) to me. But... I I love this because here I'm talking about it because it really impacted me. And if I wouldn't have gone up to her, it wouldn't have happened. And I'm I'm personally learning. I just need to be led. And I really need to discover what is leading me. Because if it's my comfort, it's not God. And so I'm wondering for you, what, what is it? What is leading you? What is acceptable to you? If God gives the Spirit without limit... Let's not limit it. I was thinking about, you know, 
our flasks and our, our water bottles and how we contain water. We contain fluids, but we just talked about how the spirit is like a fluid. So let's be containers rather than doing the containing. Let's not contain the spirit. Let's just move with it and let it fill us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Spencer. I, uh, you know, just even hearing you about uh, don't put any limit on spirit, I mean, it's really speaking to my life, so thank you. So my name is Kyung. I'm here to lead us in communion this morning. So in a few moments, uh, we'll take a communion together. The bread and the juice uh, symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus, something that we do every week, you know, 52 weeks a year, if you're a part of our community. But out of my uh, genuine curiosity, right, what do you guys actually think about when the communion trays going around? So uh, I'll be honest with you, right? So I thought about this. Sometimes, like, I'm literally just kind of curious, like, what do other people think? Because sometimes I don't know what to do. Sometimes. So sometimes I think about my prior week. I kind of reflect on it. I said, uh, you know, what I should have done better as a Christian, and how I felt sore. I sometimes, you know, go towards a more negative side. If I had a really good week, once in a while, I'll do a moment of gratuity. So, I mean, gratuity. So I'll just, uh, uh, I'll pray, um, I'll be thankful. And sometimes, I just blank out. I mean, I'll be honest with you, right? And I just kind of like, my mind kind of wander, and then I, the tray comes, and I go, okay, I'll just take it. And I know that I'm not the only one. <laughs> you guys can all relate to it. So the, uh, the scripture that I want to share with you this morning is uh, the most used scripture for communion. It's Luke 20 to 19, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when I hear this, whenever we talk about communion, I just kind of automatically go as a Christian, good Christian, right? I go, I tell myself, let me focus, okay? Let me not wander around. Let me do my best to recollect the story of Christ's death, or let me remember the gospel, let me allow my heart to soften, I try to force myself to get to that place. But going through the uh, Spirit series last a month or so, I really had to ask myself, is that what Spirit-led communion looks like? Is it what Jesus meant when he said, do this in remembrance of me? So I've been kind of reading and thinking through, so I like to actually commune what I've learned so far with you, reading this one scripture. So the scripture is in Numbers 10, chapter 10, verse 10. It says, also at your times of rejoicing, your appointed festivals and new moon feasts, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and there will be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So it's a little bit hard question, but it says, did you notice? It says, at the end, there will be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. It doesn't say, remember God, but it says, this is for you. But what is it for? If you look at verse 9, it says, you will be remembered by the Lord your God. 
So when the church gathers to do this in remembrance of me as a collective unit, the, the church, us, we are proclaiming Christ's death as a memorial before God. But reading the scripture says, in communion, we're not only remembering Jesus, his death and resurrection, but most incredible part is that God remembers and we receive. Because he says, they will be a memorial for you before God. Again, he says, God remembers us and receive. So communion is a time where we are reminding God through Jesus. As a response, God remembers his promise to us, his people. He sets his promise before us on the table. So Christ's body was given for us. His blood poured out for us. So Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. What we say is to God, remember me. Sometimes we, we talk about just us. We said, God, what I have to do during the communion. But really what Jesus is asking us is that he made a promise to us that I will remember you. The time of communion is that God telling us is that I remember you when you take this. And our job is to remind God, God, remember me. Don't forget me. And I thought, what an amazing time is communion, is that I can remind God to remember me. So this morning, as we take the communion, I want to encourage you to ask God, God, remember me. Remember who I am. Don't forget me that I am son. I'm a daughter of you. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this morning. God, we want to say, remember us. Remember who we are. Remember where we came from. Remember all your promises that are in the scriptures. God, I'm so grateful that we can commune with you. Is that not only we are praising your name, but as a response, you remember us. That we share this incredible time together as God, the creator, and the creation. Thank you for this time. We pray all these in your Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.